0: Hi there. We are going to start off this episode going through premature beats and paroxysmal supraventricular tachycardia, or PSVT. This will be the beginning of the arrhythmias. Later on in other episodes, we're going to go through the rest of them, really, uh, that, that are tested on in the pants or EORs. But today we're just going to start off with the premature beats and the PSVT. Starting off with premature beats, we're going to go through PACs, PVCs, and PJCs. Starting off with PACs, this is a premature atrial contraction. What this is is a normal-looking beat that simply just comes before it should. It often presents with an abnormally shaped P wave. This might be kind of like having more of a peak to it. They may occur in normal hearts with or without precipitating factors. That could be like coffee, tea, alcohol, or it can actually be a sign of cardiopulmonary disorders as well. So just because you see a PAC on an EKG, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's okay. It is very common to have these, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can rule out uh, some kind of cardiopulmonary disorder just because they are so normal. One good way to, I've noticed one good way to kind of differentiate between where a contraction or where uh, an impulse of the heart is coming from is looking at the QRS wave. When looking at a PAC, what you're going to see is an early narrow QRS. In contractions that are originating in the ventricles or something like with Wolf Parkinson's white, which we'll go on later, WPW, you'll actually see a wide QRS. So that will come along more in in conditions we'll go on later. But keep in mind right now, because this contraction is originating in the atria and then shooting down into the rest of the heart, it's going to be an early narrow QRS. There is a particular pulmonary disease that PACs are more common in, and that's going to be COPD. So if you're asked a question about what kind of pulmonary disease are PACs common in or vice versa, it's going to be COPD. In patients with a heart disease, frequent PACs actually might precede a PSVT, a fib, or a flutter. And then there are some different subtypes of PACs, and this could include atrial bigemony or atrial trigemony. Bigeminy is a PAC consistently after each normal cardiac cycle and then trigeminy is a PAC consistently after every two normal cardiac cycles. So that really does actually go over PACs. I'm going to get more into the treatment of these in just a little bit, but I kind of want to go over the general things like I just said about PACs, PVCs and PJC. So now going into PVCs This is a single ventricular impulse caused by re-entry within the ventricle or abnormal automaticity of ventricular cells. They're extremely common in healthy patients and in patients with heart disorders. So remember, like I said, with PACs, you're going to have an early narrow QRS. In PVCs, you'll have an early wide QRS. Again, remember that this impulse is coming in from the ventricles. If it's caused by some kind of this re-entry or this additional contraction occurring in the ventricular cells, it's going to have this wide QRS. There's going to be no P-wave seen. And you can think about this because it's kind of overlapping or not, not overlapping, but skipping the atria and going right to the ventricles. You're going to want to look for multiple PVCs, So you could have like greater than 10 per minute. That's a little bit more concerning for sure. And then they might be symptomatic or cause palpitations. And sometimes you don't feel them at all. So it's kind of interesting. People will often describe this as feeling like your heart flip-flopped in your chest. There is a valvulopathy that is more commonly associated with PVCs, And it's going to be mitral valve prolapse. And just like with PACs, there is ventricular bigeminy and ventricular trigeminy. So same kind of deal. PVCs and bigeminy consistently after each normal cardiac cycle. In ventricular trigeminy, PVCs consistently after every two normal cardiac cycles. The only difference in the name of that is, you know, atrial bigeminy is with PACs as well as the trigeminy, and then ventricular bigeminy or trigeminy is with PVCs. Then we can look lastly at PJCs, so these are premature junctional contractions. They occur when there's kind of this irritable site within the AV node, and it fires before the SA node. So Normally what should occur is the SA node will fire and then going off into the AV node, and there'll be a slight pause. And because it goes this opposite way, the AV fires before the SA, this impulse interrupts the normal sinus rhythm. They have kind of the following features. So you'll have a narrow QRS complex. Again, in this case, it holds true that if it's coming from the atria, which it is, the SA node and AV nodes are still in the atria it will be a narrow QRS complex. And then the P wave, so either no P wave or inverted P wave, or a retrograde P wave, which may actually appear before, during, or after the QRS complex. So what trying to say with that is there's this narrow QRS complex, okay? So if we're just deciding right then and there between these premature beats, it could be either a PAC or a PJC, right? With PACs, you're still gonna see that abnormal P wave. With PJCs, you're gonna have this this preceding P wave or this kind of retrograde P wave or inverted P wave. Looking at the diagnosis, for all of these premature beats, we're going to kind of group these together. The diagnosis, EKG, that's how you're going to find it. Sometimes you might be doing a Holter monitor, and I mean, that can make sense if a patient's only noticing it at certain times of the day. You might just throw a Holter monitor on them for X amount of hours, whatever is typical for those Holter monitors. And the patient can then come back and we can go over those results um, so we can actually catch it and see what it looks like on an EKG. Additional testing might include like an exercise stress test, electrophysiology study, or an echocardiogram, but generally doing an EKG in clinic or in the office when you're noticing it's happening or doing a Holter monitor to to catch those uh, premature beats. Looking at treatment, PACs, usually benign. Normally, you're just kind of providing reassurance for the patient. If it's symptomatic, you can treat it with a beta blocker or a calcium channel blocker. Of those two, beta blockers are going to be the preferred. Looking at PVCs, again, if they're not symptomatic, they're usually benign, not a whole lot to worry about. If they are symptomatic, you're going to look for the cause and treat with calcium channel blockers or beta blockers. And then you might have to consider some kind of catheter ablation if they're refractory to the medications. You know, if the medications can't handle it, you might just need to go in, uh, get a radiofrequency catheter ablation done so they can just get rid of the uh, area of the heart that's causing these PVCs. And then treatment for PJCs, This will most likely come up on exams that have come up for me before. You're only doing treatment if there's greater than 10 per minute or they're multifocal. For treatment, you would use lidocaine or an antiarrhythmic. So that covers up the premature beats, PAC, PVC, and then PJC, and then looking at the diagnosis and treatment of those. Main thing for diagnosis, just an EKG, and then just kind of keeping in mind which are narrow QRS complexes, and that's gonna be the PAC and the PJC, why QRS complex is the PVC. And yeah, hopefully that's a little bit helpful for, for the premature beats, and then next we can go into paroxysmal supraventricular tachycardia, or PSVT. The first question is, what is PSVT? So PSVT is described as a type of abnormal heart rhythm, that occurs when a short-circuit rhythm develops in the upper chamber of the heart in patients who have no other types of structural heart diseases. This short-circuit is caused by one of three conditions and will have a different location and behavior depending on the cause. So it took me some time to kind of realize this, but PSVT, of course, like I said, is one of three different conditions. Those three conditions are AVNRT, or atrioventricular nodal reentrant tachycardia, Wolf Parkinson's White or WPW and atrial tachycardia. The most common of those is the AVNRT. This is that type of supraventricular tachycardia and occurs when a small extra pathway exists in or near the AV node. So that's the atrioventricular nodal reentrant tachycardia. That's why it's called that because it's this extra pathway in or near that actual AV node. Wolf Parkinson's White. What this is caused by the presence of an abnormal accessory electrical conduction pathway between the atria and the ventricles through that bundle of HISS, or really around the bundle of HISS fibers. It's marked on an EKG by this shortened PR interval, widened QRS, and these delta waves. And then lastly, atrial tachycardia. This is responsible for only about 5% of PSVTs, so it's the least common. So keep that in mind, so atrial tachycardia, least common. AVNRT, most common of the PSVTs, and Wolf-Parkinson's white, of course, somewhere in the middle. The atrial tachycardia, it occurs when an electrical impulse fires rapidly from a site outside the AV node and circles around in the atria. Looking at PSVT just in general, the hallmark features of this is going to be a regular, but racing heartbeat of anywhere between 120 to 230 beats per minute. That starts and stops abruptly. That's why it's paroxysmal. And that 120 to 230 beats per minute, I've seen it depending on the source you look at. Those numbers can vary a bit. The main thing I keep in mind is it's a it's a very quick heart rate. It's regular. It's, it's not this irregular heart rate, and it will start and stop very abruptly. There is palpitations, dizziness, lightheadedness, syncope, chest pain, weakness, or fatigue, all associated with it. I had made sure to spend some time when going through studying this myself, knowing the causes of each of these. So the AVNRT, WPW, and the atrial tachycardia, just kind of knowing what's actually causing this. You know, I kind of already went through it in this podcast format. I don't think I need to keep repeating myself necessarily, but just keeping in mind to know that with AVNRT, it's this extra pathway existing in or near the AV node. You can probably get that on a multiple choice question, just understanding really what AVNRT even stands for. Well, Parkinson's white, again, the presence of this abnormal accessory electrical conduction pathway between the atria and the ventricles, and then, again, like I said, atrial tachycardia. It's it's really uncommon. You might not even really be getting any questions about this, but it's just this other electrical impulse firing rapidly outside of the SA node, but it's circling around the atria. Diagnosis. So a Holter monitor likely is going to be needed to catch the episode while the patient is symptomatic because... Mm -hmm what might happen is a patient will have this episode and they're like, what's going on? I don't really know by the time they get in to actually be seen it's, you know, it's gone. It's paroxysmal. It's not occurring anymore. So putting a Holter monitor on is going to, is going to be how we're going to actually catch it. Looking at treatment, You know, first line non-pharmacologic treatments that can be used for stable patients, this might just be a vagal maneuver. So the idea with that is to stimulate the vagal nerve and causing some kind of, you know, bradycardia to to calm down that heart rate and kind of get it out of its rhythm and get it out of its funk. When looking at first line pharmacologic treatments for PSVT, for symptomatic patients, uh, you're going to be using adenosine. Really be to keep in mind, though, that is not used for Wolf-Parkinson's White. I'll go over specifically WPW and how you treat that. But PSVT, AV or NRT being the most common, and atrial tachycardia, denosine, that's going to be first line. It works by slowing the heart rate. And then slowing this heart rate can actually be beneficial to make the diagnosis as well. Because when you're seeing on the EKG strip, you know, like I said before, anywhere from 120 to 230 beats per minute, it can be pretty hard to tell any of those hallmark features that you might see in like a WPW, you know, the shortened PR interval and a, a wide QRS. It's going to be hard to see that when it's going that fast. So... Using adenosine to slow it down is kind of going to be the main thing to differentiate between what's going on. Looking more into uh, kind of longer term treatments for PSVT, beta blockers and calcium channel blockers those can be used as well. But keep in mind with WPW, you're not going to use adenosine and you're also not going to want to use calcium channel blockers. The definitive treatment for a PSVT is going to be radiofrequency ablation, so just getting rid of the problem area. And then going specifically into Wolff-Parkinson-White, in symptomatic patients, you're going to use percanamide. You can also use vagal maneuvers if there's kind of a narrow complex WPW going on, a variation of it. Otherwise, percanamide is going to be the treatment for Wolff-Parkinson-White, and then again, radiofrequency ablation is still definitive. When we're looking at WPW, we just really want to make sure we're avoiding any AV nodal blockers for the wide complex tachycardia. And again, WPW wide complex uh, tachycardia or wide complex QRS is the other name for it using synchronized cardioversion or procainamide or even amiodarone. I didn't really mention that before, but those are medications that can be used in the wide complex, AKA wide QRS tachycardia. That is Wolf Parkinson white. I will be very honest when I'm looking through these, I often just look at PSVT as a whole, I know we need to be splitting these up, and this is absolutely coming to you more as a student right now, which, of course, I am. When I'm looking at this, I want to know just generally what's causing PSVT. What are the three different rhythms that are actually, or what are the kind of three different short circuits that are causing PSVT? How can we treat it? And AVNRT being the most common one, really, I think about using adenosine. You want to keep in mind if you're asked about Wolf-Parkinson-White and contraindications. You're not going to want to use adenosine. You're not going to want to use calcium channel blockers. But I've noticed in exams for myself, you have a PSVT question. AVNRT is the most common cause, and they ask you about what's going to be the treatment. Really, it's going to be adenosine for the symptomatic patients. If they ask you something about what are you going to use in uh, stable patients, and you're not going to use a pharmacologic treatment, vagal maneuvers, that's one of the maneuvers that you can use. And then, of course, if they ask you something about WPW, what's the medication you're going to use for a wide complex procainamide for all of these radiofrequency ablation is still definitive that's the final treatment for all of them so that was a lot the premature beats comes across a lot easier in my opinion when i'm looking at all of this the paroxysmal supraventricular tachycardia i you know i wouldn't get too too in depth about um, the three different conditions that can cause it there's really a lot to know and you can go into how to manage all these separately the the main thing what i found that they're trying to figure out with this and how they're going to test you in this is what do you do if somebody comes in and they have a psvt and you have to kind of activate the ems system and you have to activate all the things you're going to do in this acute care those are the questions that i've spent most time on on making sure i know so again a lot of explanation there at the end hopefully this is helpful though and we'll see you next time